We have our back-to-school penance service this evening from 4 to 7 p.m. I like to say that if you've gotten your car washed since your last confession, it might be a good time to go to confession. Our souls are more important than our cars. And you may say, well, Father, I haven't got my car washed in two years. Well, get your car washed too, but also... Uh, go to confession. Um, we'll have visiting priests coming tonight to hear confessions. And um, I only invite the nice priests to come. So the nice priests will be here to hear your confessions. Just stop in from 4 to 7 p.m., make your confession, and you can leave whenever you'd like to. <clears throat> Did Jesus found a visible or an invisible church? There are those who claim to be spiritual but not religious. Some Christians even claim to be Christian but not religious. And they mean that they have a relationship with Jesus, but they don't belong to any group or any, do anything religious. There's even Christians who go to church, but they speak of the church, the church, as an invisible reality. All Christians belong to this church no matter what you believe, how you worship, or who's leading. They believe that Christ founded an invisible church, not a visible church. But is that what Christ intended, to make disciples who don't go to a church or even communities that have no visible communion with each other, just invisibly connected? I don't think so. When we look at our Gospels, we see Jesus instituted a visible church with set beliefs, with set rituals, with a set governing structure. A church so real that you can know whether or not you belong to it. And so real and visible, you can even be kicked out of it, as our Gospel speaks of today. The last thing that Jesus did before he ascended to heaven is he sent his disciples out, the great commissioning, to make more disciples. And he said, teach them all that I have commanded you. He taught his disciples a specific set of beliefs and to have those beliefs transmitted to others to be handed on. Jesus gave them rituals to perform. We call them sacraments. The Last Supper, he took bread, he said, this is my body. He took wine, he said, this is my blood. And then he said, do this in memory of me. Do this over and over again. He gave them this ritual to perform. And again, in that great commissioning that I mentioned earlier, he said to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gave his disciples these set, physical, tangible rituals to do and to perform. And Jesus founded a church with a visible governing structure, with his very own divine authority. A couple weeks ago, right, we heard that famous gospel. You are Peter, and upon this rock, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And he said, whoever hears you, hears me. Jesus established a church with visible leadership. 
And this church is so real and visible that you can know whether or not you are a part of it, whether you belong. You can even be kicked out. Look at our gospel today. It concerns what we call fraternal correction. How are Christians supposed to deal with their brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't doing what they should be doing? Those who are publicly not living in accord with Christ's teachings. You see, we have a duty to correct our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, charitably and the right, at the right time. But we must correct them nonetheless. Listen to that first reading. Quote, if I tell the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way, the wicked shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. For example, I think it's revolting today how normalized and acceptable living together before marriage has become. Even among Catholics, it's one thing to fall because of passion. It's another thing, though, to publicly cohabitate without any shame. Sex before marriage is a mortal sin, and unless you repent, you're risking eternal damnation. One summer, I told this story before, I was with my family, we were having dinner, and my dad said to us, he said, I will support you in your marriage, I'll even help pay for your marriage, as long as you do two things. You marry a Catholic, and you don't live together before you get married. Again, he was saying this as a loving father, <laughs> wanting what was best for us. And we saw that as a father who loves us, not just arbitrary, restrictive, oppressive guidelines. But this is what it means by creating a Catholic culture. This is part of it. Taboos are a big part of culture. They protect the people and their communities. It was taboo in my family to live together before you were married. We want to create a culture here, in our parish, in our families, that it's taboo, that you just don't do it. You just don't live together before you are married. Back to our gospel. Jesus says, first go to that person who's doing wrong, one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, then you bring together one or two other Christians with you. If that person still won't change, then you bring them to the church, Bring them to the official governing leaders of the church, the pastor and the bishop. And then, if he still will not change, the church is supposed to treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. We call that excommunication, to kick them out. The bishop is able to say whether or not that person belongs to the church or not. Many of our bishops, I think, would do well to read and heed our gospel today. And they would do well to have some courage to excommunicate, to deny communion to high-profile public Catholics who advocate for such evils such as abortion. This is what Jesus is speaking of today. Now, this is always ordered towards their salvation. If the person would repent, the bishop, the church would receive them with open arms. So Jesus founded a visible church, 
my friends, we don't have to guess whether or not we belong to it. We can know if we are part of it or not. For example, do you believe in the teachings of the Catholic Church? Do you participate in the communal rituals? Are you under the governing structure of the church? For example, do you go to a church that has a pastor who's in communion with the local bishop, who's in communion with the Bishop of Rome, our Holy Father, who is the successor of St. Peter, the first pope? That's how you know if you're part of the church that Christ founded. It is not good enough just to call yourself Christian. It's not good enough to belong to any Christian group. We need to belong to the church that Christ founded, the Catholic Church. We want everyone to be Catholic. Jesus prayed for this at his Last Supper. Lord, I pray that they all be one, that all the local churches would share life together. Again, Christ didn't just gather individuals, he gathered a people. He founded a visible church, a community of believers to share life together. So in these next couple weeks, I ask all of you to continue to pray and discern as individuals and families how the Lord wants you to continue to invest yourselves here in your parish. How can you invest your time? What groups can you belong to? When will you come to daily Mass? When will you go to adoration? When will you go to confession? How can you invest your talent in our various ministries that we have here at your parish? You belong to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the visible church that Christ founded. Now continue to invest yourselves more and more in that church.